My guest is John Perkins. He is known as an economic hitman, a job he held to convince developing nations to accept enormous loans for infrastructure development they did not need, and but that guaranteed that development projects were contracted by U.S. corporations like Halliburton and Bechtel. He was a direct participant or a witness to such dramatic modern events as the Saudi Arabian money laundering scandal, the fall of the Shah of Iran, the assassination of Panama's President uh, Omar Torrijos, and the Panama invasion and other government and corporate intrigues leading to the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Now, with both the global and domestic financial collapses, a strengthening of the corporate elite, parallel to increasing rates of unemployment, homelessness, rising illnesses and disease, and diminishing health care, he is in a unique position to provide comment and analysis since he contributed to these very same events in poor nations. Last night I took a, a short break from a long schedule of filming every day, and I went over to see this movie, 2012. And the theme of the 2012 is that there will be alignment of the Mayan calendar and causing the Earth to enter heat and causing cataclysmic events. Special effects were phenomena. The story itself was rather trite. Uh, we're seeing, for one reason, you realize that a lot of the things that are in the film um, could happen in much smaller degrees based upon what we're seeing. Not at the completely uh, nihilistic level, but as we're seeing them now with uh, the tsunamis, with earthquakes, with people living where it's over-congested. And there was one single scene in the movie I found of value where the President of the United States is told by a scientist that his calculations how long it would take before all this came down, and therefore how much time the public would have to be warned, not that they could do anything about it. And he said, um, I made an error. I was wrong. And uh, the character playing the President of the United States, Danny Glover, says, well, of all the time I've been in office, how many people have ever acknowledged they're wrong? Zero. You're the first. And that struck me because how many times have we ever had anyone who could be completely honest about the real problems we face and then surrender the idea that they're not in a position because of being compromised to be correcting it, but others could correct it who are not yet or never would be com compromised, like a Ralph Nader or others. With that, I introduce my guest, John Perkins. Nice to have you today with us today, John. It's great being with you, Gary. Thank you. John, I'm going to give several areas I would like for you to do almost like a classroom on the air rather than a uh, back and forth, all right? Fair enough. You're one of those people who actually came forward and acknowledged your complicity in many of the problems that have evolved to where they are today. You're the only person, that's why I said that, that I know of, who has publicly gone on record saying, I was a part of the problem. Alan Greenspan has refused to acknowledge that. Timothy Geithner has refused. Um, Larry Summers, who in my belief shouldn't be a part of anything with power because he has utterly compromised every single institution and, and that he has been a part of as far as its integrity. And yet virtually all the president's men and women are grossly compromised individuals. And in fact, every choice that is made, they're making based upon getting some of the most uh, 
loyal corporatist in positions who could do nothing else except honor the corporate allegiance that they have uh, they have been benefited from so why is it the american media and the why is it the american public are not aware that this is a completely 100% compromised administration just as bush was and just as clinton was so we have nothing but compromised administrations, so it doesn't matter who's in power, Republican or Democrat, the same compromised positions occur. I'd like for you to in de- delve into that with examples uh, in depth. Can you do that? Well, Gary, I, I think that the, the fact of the matter is that the media doesn't want us to think in these terms. For the most part, the mainstream media, the New York Times, NBC, CBS, the big networks, uh, they're, because they're all owned by the corporatocracy, by these same people, and they also carry their advertising budgets. So it, it, it really is a, a, a mutual effort not to keep us uninformed. However, I mean, anybody that wants to dig at all can, will see all this about Summers and Geithner and all the other people you mentioned. Another example, incidentally, is, is the Attorney General, Eric Holder, who was the lead attorney for Chiquita in, when they were accused of assassinating union leaders in Colombia. He lost the case, and now he's been defending at the top of the administration, Chiquita's actions in Honduras, where they've been behind the overthrow of a democratically elected president. So throughout these administrations, we have this very deep connection with the entrenched corporatocracy, with the people who are really running things, the big corporations. I'm so glad you're pointing this out. And there are a lot of other people pointing this out. I would mention that Joe Stiglitz, who's a Nobel Prize-winning economist, former economist for the um, for the World Bank has also talked about a number of these things, as has Ken Rogoff, former chief economist for the IMF now at MIT's business school. So the, the word is getting out there more and more, despite the mainstream media. But the mainstream media is trying to dumb us down constantly, and it's, it's, it's a terrible uh, travesty of, a democ- of what we call a democratic system. I thank you for that. When you look in Afghanistan, you look in Iraq, you see that a vast amounts of money have gone into each country, what they acknowledge versus what has actually been put in, $56 billion into infrastructure development. And as the New York Times stated yesterday, and I'll bet nobody can prove this. It is not provable. In fact, it's not not lie. So I'm challenging the New York Times to show their evidence, show their research. They said tens of thousands of hospitals and schools and roads uh, have been built in Afghanistan. Tens of thousands? Not possible. And yet they're, they're allowed to get away with lying like that. And yet here in the United States, we have over 27,000 infrastructure projects that are in gross decay. The water mains under New York City, bridges across the United States, tunnels and uh, aquifers that are breached, uh, levees that are, are, are cracked. Uh, embankments that will collapse or overflow. We're doing nothing about this. Yet when you were a part of that system, if, unless I'm misquoting, if I am, please correct me on this, were you not involved in propping up multinational corporate and American government interests in developing nations, which at the same time siphon money and resources from those nations that could have been better spent to uplift the lives of these populations? So... Are you in a unique position now to analyze what has been and continues to be done in the White House and Congress as corporations continue the ascendancy of national domination and Main Street continues to descend into greater poverty and despair, all the while the money that is 
is going to Afghanistan and is going to Iraq and other countries, it's being siphoned off by the big companies. They can lie to Congress and the American public and say, oh, we're, we're working on these um, schools. Well, okay. Now, what exactly does that mean? Show me a school you've built. How yeah. much did it cost? Yeah. You're using brick and mortar from a local construction company. How much does it cost to build a school? How much, if we weren't there, would it have cost the government there to build a school? $10,000, $15,000, $20,000? Why did it cost $10 million for you to build it? You can bet 90% of that went to profit, and the rest went to some local corrupt sub, uh, subcontractor. And finally, a few people at the bottom were hired. And yet everyone knows the game except the American people. So take your time now and lay this out for us. Well, Gary, I'm so glad you're exposing this. I mean, this is so important. And, and yeah, you, you hit it exactly right. I mean, that's what I did as an economic hitman, and it's going on in a, on, on a bigger stage today than it was in the 70s when I was doing it. And what we've really come down to, and why I wrote um, Hoodwinked, my new book, is because I felt that there was a lot of, there were a lot of books, there was a lot of information out there about the triage associated with this economic crisis that we're in, which is no fluke. It has to happen. It's a purging. It's telling us that the model does not work. It's, we're in a failure. We're at a time where less than 5% of the world's population, us, in the United States, consume more than 25% of its resources, while roughly half the world verges on starvation or is actually starving. That's a failed model. It's nothing you can pass on to China or India or Latin America or Africa. It's a failure. And so, uh, but it seemed to me that everybody was talking about, well, what are we going to do about AIG? What are we going to do about Wall Street? What are we going to do about the insurance industry? That's triage. It's Band-Aids. And we need Band-Aids because we're hemorrhaging badly. But we've also got to go deep beneath the surface, which is what I do in Hoodwing, to talk about the root of this problem. And it's what I call a mutant form of capitalism, predatory capitalism, that's really uh, been around. It started in the 70s when, when we began to embrace Milton Friedman, the economist from the Chicago School of Economics, but when he re his philosophy really took over and replaced Keynesian economics, Keynesian economics was quite compassionate. Mil Milton Friedman's economics is anything but compassionate. It is based on three principles. One, corporations' only responsibility is to maximize profits in the short term. Two, corporations should not be regulated because that gets in the, in the way of maximizing profits. And three, Everything should be privatized. You know, let corporations own our schools, our jails, in fact, our homeland security and, and military to a certain degree. And these three tenets really were embraced by Reagan in, in 1980 when he became president and by every president since then, including the current one. And they've led us to this terribly, terribly destructive world. I have a two-year-old grandson. Gary, and, and as I look at this baby, I look down at him and I think, my God, what is this world going to look like in six decades when he's my age? And if we continue with this form of, of capitalism, it's going to be ugly, ugly, ugly. We all know that. We've got to turn this around and embrace a, a more compassionate form of capitalism, something that says, okay, make profits, but only within the context of creating a sustainable, just, and peaceful world, and only within the context of looking at the long term, not just the, not just the next quarterly income statement. How did this play into the causes of the economic collapse that we're now seeing and subsequent bailout of Wall Street? And do you believe that Greenspan and Bernanke uh, were surprised, as they've claimed, or did this fit into a clearly designed plan? 
if they were surprised, they're idiots. There's no reason for, for, for men with their kind of education and, and knowledge to be surprised. I mean, when you're mounting huge amounts of debt and you're creating a situation that's only aimed at the short term, and you don't really worry about whether people be being unemployed or not, as long as a few at the top are making a lot of money, a lot more money, and getting a lot more power than they ever did before, you're headed for disaster. I do a lot of lecturing at business schools. I was just speaking at Cornell, where there were 2,400 uh, MBA students attending a conference up there. And you know, as I as I talk to the students, uh, they, they know they they all knew that that, that that there was a crisis looming. It was it was pretty obvious. You know, there were tons of statistics and t uh, so much evidence leading to the to the bubble, the housing bubble, all of these bubbles. So, if if uh, if people like Bernanke were surprised, uh, they should be terribly ashamed of themselves that they were surprised because there was every reason to see it coming. I saw it coming. Many, many people saw it coming. Am I wrong in assuming that your role was to corrupt politicians? That was my role. You know, basically what we economic hitmen do in general is to identify a third world country with resources our corporations covet like oil and then arrange a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of its sisters but the money is, is intended to go to the country. Instead, it goes to our own corporations to build these infrastructure projects, like you mentioned, the roads and schools and power plants and highways, but primarily to build things that help a few rich families, the big infrastructure projects like power plants, and, and of course, help our own corporations, but don't serve the majority of the people who are too poor to buy much electricity, don't have cars to drive on the highways, uh, and can't get jobs in industrial parks. And yet those people, the majority of the people, are left holding a debt that they can't possibly repay. And so at some point we go back, and, oh, you know, so we've corrupted the officials, got them to accept this loan, and they're going to get rich off the loan. But the rest of the country is going to be stuck with this debt they can't repay, and we go back and say, you can't pay your debts, so give us a pound of flesh. Sell your oil, real cheap to our oil companies, without any environmental restrictions attached to how they drill for oil, or vote with us on a critical United Nations vote, or send troops in support of ours to Iraq or Afghanistan or someplace like that. And in the few occasions when we fail, and I talk, Gary, in my books about how I failed with Jaime Roldos of Ecuador and Omar Torrijos of Panama, couldn't corrupt those individuals. And so they're either overthrown or assassinated. And in the case of both Roldos and Torrijos, they were assassinated by CIA-supported what we call jackals. Uh, and because they would not be corrupted. And on the few occasions when the jackals also fail, like in Iraq where they could not take out Saddam Hussein, his security was too good, he had look-alike doubles which make it tough, then and only then do we send in the military. But the jackals work as private contractors. They're paid assassins. They're, they're, there's nothing personal about it. Whoever gives them the check, they will do the work. But these people have to be hired by uh, black op groups to the CIA. The CIA will not uh, authorize a hit like this on its own, especially of a, a country's uh, duly elected leader. Um, so then that has to come through the State Department. The State Department does not act on its own unilaterally. It must have advice then from the White House where the uh, principal uh, directives are given or through someone at the White House and the National Security Council who says this person is not in the best economic interest of the United States. So 
doesn't isn't there a chain of command that starts at the top and works down you don't suddenly have someone at the CIA saying why don't we go kill a world leader today well it's 1961 and the, uh, let's let's kill the DM brothers in Vietnam they stand in our way it doesn't happen unless everybody is in someone has to designate someone else responsible for it would you take us through that chain of command well, it's a, it's a theoretical chain of command, I think, in many respects, Gary. And I think probably back in Kennedy's day, with the DM, as you mentioned, that may have been <clears throat> even more true than today. I think today we have a situation where the CIA and, and, and aspects of the military are so entrenched, they've been around a long time, that they don't necessarily take orders from the commander-in-chief, the president. Um, after all, the president's never there for more than eight years. And a lot of these uh, people at the top of the CIA and the NSA and the other intelligence organizations are there for a lifetime. I, I think that they have established pretty much a system of their own. I suspect if we're going to take out a president, though, uh, like a Roldos or a Torrijos or, or, or a Hugo Chavez or somebody like that, it probably does have to go to the top. But there's a lot that you can do before that. So, you know, recently uh, the president of, of Ecuador uh, Rafael Correa, who incidentally has a Ph.D. in economics from the University of Illinois and talks about himself as a capitalist who wants to make capital work for the poor people of the world. Uh, he wasn't actually, he wasn't taken out, but, but his Secretary of Defense was. And this is the same thing that happened at the time Roldos was assassinated. First, his Secretary of Defense was taken out. So I think it was a, a threat. I doubt if something like that has to be approved by the President. I think that that the CIA has a tremendous amount of power beneath the surface. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the CIA uh, probably is seen by the president sometimes as a personal threat to him himself if he's if he's if he goes too far. Well, I don't, I don't, Kennedy, I don't say that based on any inside information. Mm -hmm. But I suspect if I were president of the United States today, I'd be a little bit afraid of the CIA. <laughs> Okay. Now, I want to get into another area. If you've just joined me, I'm speaking with John Perkins, uh, who has come forward as a whistleblower, as a person who is telling us the truth, almost as if he's created his own in the first in American history, a truth and reconciliation. He's acknowledging he was a top hitman inside of multiple administrations and has the perspective of understanding that the financial mar uh, markets today uh, are being manipulated by special interest groups. It's not by accident a lot of this stuff is happening. Some of the consequences uh, were not intended, but it, they were inevitable. And there's a difference between intended and inevitable. Uh, one is casual, one is causal. So um, we're going to get into that. I'd like to take a moment, uh, John, and read you a brief uh, essay by David Michael Green um, on a show about nothing the placeholder presidency of Barack Obama. I'd like your insight on it, okay? Okay, great. Because it touches on many of the things that you've written about in our audience I think should know about. I'll quote this. Remember Seinfeld? Remember how it built itself as a show about nothing and how, in fact, that's what it was? I think we're at the point now where it's become inescapable that the Obama presidency is also a show about nothing. It's the same as Seinfeld, except for two things. First, unlike Seinfeld, it builds itself as a show about something, if not everything. And, uh, and second, the nothingness of the Obama administration is not very funny. 
Thanks just the same. Consider the following crop of headlines, all from the Obama-supportive New York Times and all published in just last week. 49 million Americans report a lack of food. The NAACP prods Obama on job losses. The drug industry cashes in. Three Democrats could block health, uh, the health bill in the Senate. Another standoff may be looming on a, the abortion issue. Obama hobbled in fight against climate change. Uh, leaders will delay agreement on climate. Obama backers fear opportunities to reshape judiciary are slipping away. Guantanamo won't close by January, Obama says. China holds firm on major issues in Obama's visit. As weight of a relationship tilts east, Obama opts for nuance and deference. Israel moves ahead and plans to expand settlement in disputed parts of Jerusalem. Now, those are just some, and also the high cost weigh on troop debate for Afghan war. Quote, if you get a sense from this list that the man holding the most powerful position on the planet is bound and determined to be an object of action rather than a proactive force on the historical stage, there's a good reason for feeling that. That appears to be precisely his intention. At a time of significant peril to the country and the world, this president will not act. And he certainly will not act in any way that's a remotely controversial. In normal times, that list would cover just about everything. In our era, however, where rabid regressives have entirely lost even a remote satellite uplink to reality and have devoted themselves to destroying Obama's presidency at any cost, there is nothing that a president who is worried about ruffling feathers could actually do about anything. If he salutes the fallen returning to Dover Air Force Base, they escorate him. If he shows a, scra a scrap of a politeness bowing to the Japanese emperor, they eviscerate him. If he claims he was born in America, they call him a liar for that. That seems to be fine with Obama. He seems quite content to be a placeholder president, just as Bill Clinton was before him. And you know what? Placeholder presidents can be just fine, if you're living in the 19th century, that is. They've been... They've even been survivable recently, though the scale of blown opportunity can be jaw-dropping. Just the same, every time I find myself cringing at the thought of Bill Clinton's eight-year self-reverential um, uh, self celebration of all things Bill Clinton, I can also rescue myself by remembering how much worse things are than indifference in the White House. At last, I have finally discovered a reason, however slim, to be grateful to Mr. Bush and Mr. Cheney. Thanks for the uh, perceptive uh, perspective, fellas. This president, however, doesn't have the luxury he seems so intent on taking. He came to office at a time of multiple crisis, and um, it's, it's got a lot worse and on multiple fronts. So that's just a few things that he believes from this commentary that um, – this man is not going to make enemies, and in no small me measure because the very powerful people in America from corporate America, Wall Street, the pharmaceutical industry, the coal industry, the nuclear power industry, the insurance industries, the healthcare insurance industries, they put him in office. They are the ones who got the money to get him in office. The poor, the disempowered, the disenfranchised voted for him. Well, he's not honored any of those people, but he sure has made every single one of his plays, every single one of his actions, every one of the people he surrounded himself with as if he was being guided by people giving him a, a come-to-Jesus session each night in the White House from corporate America. 
Is this what we can expect? Is this what we have become to in the United States? The very same thing that you did to corrupt politicians in third world countries, are we now seeing our entire government corrupted and merely nothing more than an extension of corporate America, a subdivision of corporate America? Your thoughts? Yeah. You know, Gary, I think we have to recognize that, that the world's changed radically. Um, during most of my lifetime, I think you could look at the globe as this big, uh, you know, this big globe with around 200 countries. If you had a lot of power, the United States, the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom at one time. But today you really look at the geopolitics of the globe as these huge clouds drifting around it, knowing no national borders and listening to no specific sets of laws. These are the big corporations. They call the shots. Nobody gets elected to a high office in the United States or most countries without the support of big corporations. As we talked earlier, they control the mainstream media. I think what we're finding is that today we're like the time when city-states became nations. Cities became somewhat irrelevant as political entities. And today our countries and our presidents are becoming irrelevant. So, uh, you know, it's the corporations that are running things, what I call the corporatocracy, that the people who run our biggest corporations are in command. I don't, this is not a conspiracy theory. Half these people, most of these people have never even met each other. But, it, but they are all driven by the single set of, of, law, of rules that I mentioned before, primarily maximize profits regardless of the social and environmental costs, privatize, no regulations. And... You know, you ask yourself, if we had a president like Franklin Roosevelt today who had a lot of courage, who came from a lot of money and really didn't depend on corporations, or even Kennedy, whose father supported his campaign rather than big corporations supporting it, would, would that president be able to take serious action? We have to remember Kennedy, after all, was assassinated. So was his brother. We, we still don't really know who did it. Uh, I don't know whether, whether, whether it's, it's, it's a lack of character on Obama's part or simply the fact that we're living in a world today that truly is, is driven by big corporations. And I think you and I and all of your listeners need to take some responsibility here, too, because we've sent a message to these big corporations. Listen, sell us cheap T-shirts, and if you're making them with slaves and sweatshops in Indonesia, we'll just look the other way. Sell us cheap oil, and if you're destroying rainforests in the process, we'll look the other way. And pay high rates of return on our stocks. We've, we've kind of allowed, we've allowed this to go on. We've, we've turned a blind eye, and now it's come back to haunt us. You know, the economic hitmen have come out of the third world. Well, they're still there, but they've also come into the United States. And I think we really need to get it, and we the people need to rise up and speak much more strongly. One of the things we really must do is send a strong message to our corporations. Look, you know, Nike, we like you, you've been making headway in environmental issues, but you still get slaves working in sweatshops in Indonesia. Send them an email. Tell them you're not buying from them until they stop doing that, until they create those sweatshops into legitimate factories with decent working conditions where people get paid fair wages. And send other emails to corporations that you know are green. You can find them at my website, johnperkins.org, and tell them why you are buying from them. I think we, the people, need to start taking a lot more responsibility, Gary, because if we are a democracy, we need to recognize that, that the marketplace is democratic, too, that we've had a major impact on large corporations. We've got them to clean up polluted rivers. We've got them to get rid of aerosol cans, to stop supporting apartheid in South Africa, to take trans fats out of food, and so on and so forth. And now we need to ratchet this up a notch and say, listen, we're only going to buy from corporations that are committed to creating a sustainable, just, and peaceful world. So we, we need to, you know, and I think Obama in a way said that to us. He said, listen, you know, 
I want you, you you've got to force me to act. And, and in fact, Franklin Roosevelt said that. that no, Roosevelt never said any such thing, John. Roosevelt was proactive on every major issue of social importance. Obama has been proactive on zero. And if you're asking a president, if you're expecting a president to say, force me to honor my word, force me, you poor people, the black people, the people I suckered into uh, uh, voting for me, force me to honor my word, then you've got the wrong person because that's a person that has no spiritual values, no ethical values, but is an outstanding orator and a con artist. Well, Gary, I, 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 you know, I, Roosevelt did, in fact, when he met with union leaders in 1930. Four, as they left the White House, he said, you know, I think you, you, you get it that I agree with you. Now go out there and force me to do the right thing. Presidents do look for us to speak loudly, and I think what you're saying on this show is probably getting back to Obama. And I think this is a very important thing that we're doing. We the must force more. The different, the and, and, and I go back to, yes, if we had a president that had more character, like a, like a Franklin Roosevelt or a Jack Kennedy, perhaps he could do things differently. Unfortunately, that isn't the case. So what do we do? Right. Well, even Dwight Eisenhower, uh, we, we almost never talk about him, but he was one of the few people who stood up to the military-industrial complex. He well, was, he, he, his closing speech he did, but remember, he gave in to the Dulles brothers and the military who wanted him to overthrow a democratically elected president of, of Iran. Truman refused to overthrow Mossadegh. Eisenhower went along with it. And then on his last day, you know, in his, his, his exit speech, he warned us about the military-industrial complex, but it's interesting that he didn't do anything about it when he was actually in office. And that's always disturbed me a lot that he would, you know, I'm glad he, I'm glad he had that exit speech. But if he'd done it a little earlier, I think he may have been afraid to. Well, if he had it, he probably would end up like one of the Dulles brothers. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Uh, supposedly committing suicide, jumping to. out a window of uh, the Army Hospital in Washington, and anyone with the right mind knows that that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that, I, and I think, yeah, and I think you know we need to be aware, Gary, that that presidents are in vulnerable positions. And and again, I'm I'm not making apologies for Obama at all. I'm very very disappointed uh, in what he's doing, but I but there he's there, and so we the people I think really need to. to Speak louder. I think I really believe our country's been stolen, and in fact, the world's been stolen. You're right. By a few it has. very rich, very powerful people, but and they've Michael, stolen the presidency, but, but, at least but this they presidency. Did, but they did they it with accomplices. The presidency, and they didn't have to steal the Bush presidency because he was already in there with them. But we, the people, need to get it back. I really think we do, and I think you know what you're what you're um, inspiring people to do is extremely important. But we, the people, must rise up. But then stop shopping at Whole Foods Health Food Store. It's a, it's one of the cor it's one of the corporate uh, people out there that sell you non-organic and call it organic and don't support local farmers and don't support its own unionization of its workers and all the other crap that we do and say, oh, we're doing something good. No, you're not doing. I'm not talking about you, John. I'm talking about the people are not doing it good. The, I read the Franklin Roosevelt papers very carefully, and you're right. He did suggest that the union people. But what I interpret that to be is he's saying to the union people, I will stand forth, but you must be the voices at the local level to inspire your membership to believe that this is important. But he didn't back off from controversy, and he didn't back off from the major corporations and the banks. Remember, he's the one who had the bank holiday no, and closed them. You're absolutely right. No, he, he, he had a tremendous amount of courage. There's no question. I, I, I admire Roosevelt tremendously. 
and, and I wish that Obama would just do one thing, just one major policy issue. Well, you know, I, I do too, Gary, but, you know, I guess what I'm saying is I, I think we need to keep pushing him. Maybe he will come around. Maybe he won't. He's, he's in office now, and, and we the people need to, I think, take this as a clarion call that we must take action. We've got to force him. We've got to force the corporations. I think it's very, very important that we speak loud and clear to these corporations, realizing that they are vulnerable to us. Then they we've only got exist a boy, because we got a boy call. services. As you pointed out, you know, if you don't believe that a company is doing the right thing with Whole Foods or Nike or whoever it is, send them emails. Don't buy from them. Don't buy. Dole and Chiquita behind this, this coup in Honduras right now. I love bananas, but I will not buy Dole and Chiquita bananas, which means it's almost impossible to buy bananas most places in this country. Well, you can buy organic bananas via, via um, of, uh, of uh, Jamaica. Yeah, now, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Now, also, I believe that we must stop listening to Tiger Woods, a sellout. Uh, yes. Uh, and Michael Jordan, the worst yes. punk sellout ever. Yes. He is. I've sent him multiple documentation, multiple articles showing here you're 20 million, they're 25, you're 30 million dollar year from Nike endorsement. Here's yes. where that money comes from. And I show uh -huh. him, I showed, sent pictures. I sent uh, the people try to create unions, how they were beaten up. I showed them all the people had to work 14 hours days for just pennies. I showed them all the exploitation. Not once did this clown even send an acknowledgement. Okay. Now, had he said, you know, Gary, you're right. These people are exploited, but you know something? I want my money. Yeah. All right. I got a heavy divorce because of how stupid I was with the women I was with. I got a lot of bills to pay. I got a lot of cigars. I got a lot of gambling problems. Yep. So it's my business. You know what I would have said? You're absolutely right. If you can be honest about why you support something for the money and not because of the integrity, then that's your right. I don't argue that. I won't argue that. That's a boundary I won't cross because I believe in freedom of choice. But at the same time, when we look at the people who are out there, who are famous because they've had special and unique skills they have mastered in their sport. And now they're telling us what car to buy or what food to eat or what underwear to wear. That to me is just how bad we've gotten it. That shows you how far we have relegated ourselves to being a nation of bread and circus. Now, when I see the demonstrations on behalf of the 50 million, 49.1 to be exact, hungry people and 100 million poor people. And the 10,000 people a day are being thrown out on the curb and the marshals dare to kick their ass if they dare uh, stay there. You're in violation and whack. You know, that's what a marshal does. That's the kind of temperament they have. They're like attack dogs. And that's our, that's, understand something. No one in power will ever exercise power if they know they do not have a very strong and completely uh, controlled-minded police force behind them. You don't do that unless you know that you're as close to a police state as possible. Then you exercise with complete disdain for what the people want. If at all you believed in true democracy, if at all you believe in people's right to demonstrate, then why have we allowed anyone who wants demonstrated a president uh, debate or a presidential election campaign to be put way away, blocks away behind uh, fencing where they're photographed, they're videotaped, and every one of them gets on a uh, enemy list of the state under our uh, terrorism uh, watch and uh, our Homeland Security Act. That's how far we've come. But the average person is so lost up in superficiality and triviality, they're not going to demonstrate. Here's the difference. I agree with Barbara Ehrenreich. And tomorrow I'm going to do a commentary with her on this, on our maniacal optimism. 
until we stop buying those bananas, until we stop buying at Whole Foods, until we stop buying at Walmart, till we stop buying at, at Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and Burger King, till we turn off CNN, till we turn off Fox, till we turn off NBC, till we turn off the uh, New York Times, till we turn off the Washington Post, till we stop buying things we don't need till we stop spending money we don't have till we tear up our credit cards until we tear down the walls of our gated communities until we do any of these things then all we are our nation lost in our maniacal optimism for everything's better as long as don't ask me to be a part of the solution because yeah. i'm just watching it all from my virtual reality with dancing of the stars and everything else that can take away my yeah. attention from anything that's essential your thoughts please Oh, well, yeah, I totally agree, you know, until, and until we stop setting idols like Tiger Woods and, and, and all the other sports and celebrities, television, uh, music celebrities, those people who go out there and are endorsed by corporations that are doing terrible, terrible work around the world. I, too, have sent emails. I write books about Tiger Woods and, and the others who you, who you mentioned. Uh, why are they accepting $40 million a year while people are living under terrible slave conditions in sweatshops in, in Indonesia and Nicaragua and other places? And, and yet, we, we, the people, idolize them. We put them on the covers of our magazines. Uh, we wear the Nike swish, you know, openly in public. Every time I see somebody walk by me with that Nike swish on, I cringe. You know, I think, how can this person do that? You know, it's kind of like wearing a Schwarz sticker. Uh, I'm, I'm totally with you. That's what, uh, we, the people, must stand up to these things. We, we must. We must put our feet down and say, no longer are we going to go along with this. We're simply not going to buy from those companies. I was speaking last weekend at the, um, at the, at the Green Festival in San Francisco. There's five in this country. I speak at all of them. And I'm always impressed by the marketplace. There's a lot of people out there making tennis shoes, T-shirts, sweatshirts, food, all kinds of things in a very environmentally and, and, and socially responsible way. And I have to say, probably none of them is 100% perfect. It's hard to be that these days. But they're headed in that direction, and they're committed to that. We need to buy from those people, and we need to let them know that we're buying from them. And we need to, and it's so easy today, Gary, with email, to send email to these other companies. You know that it, it, Tiger Woods may not respond to you, but he hears you. Uh, and I certainly hope he does. I think most of those people have mechanisms whereby uh, their their webmasters, their their, their Twitter, Twitter social networkers, and and so forth are are letting them know. At least if there's a strong enough opinion, they will get it. Especially if we don't buy their products. Yes, we the people must speak out. And I think another thing here, we need to demand a new kind of economy. You know, I was recently in Latin America and in, in Nicaragua, where there's terribly polluted lakes, terribly polluted land mainly polluted by Dole and Chiquita and Kraft and Cargill, the big agribusinesses. And there's a movement down there to start organic farming, but they can't farm organically because the land's so destroyed. And I thought, what if we, what if we all forced our, our, our tax dollars to be redistributed, a small amount even to start with, go to pay some of these awful companies that are, creating, that are building weapons, that General Dynamics, Raytheon, but pay them instead. Uh, to build equipment that can clean up the polluted lands of Nicaragua and every other place on the planet, and the polluted water and air. And what if we devoted another percentage of our military budget to helping companies, uh, terrible companies that are doing awful things today, like Monsanto and Cargill and Kraft, to instead uh, create 
uh, seeds and, 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 and agricultural production techniques that, that starving people in Africa could use efficiently to grow food and store it and transport it locally and feed themselves. That's the way to have homeland security, to recognize that the whole world is our homeland and, and that, that terrorism, that violence comes from desperate, starving people who then are taken advantage of by a few fanatics, like perhaps Bin Laden's a fanatic. But fanatics like that don't get a following unless there are miserable people in the world. And so we need, and this is what Hoodwinked is all about, what, is the, what are the roots of our problem? What is the cancer beneath the surface? And it's this model that we've created. We, we must get out there and turn this thing around if, if we expect to have a world when my grandson is mine that any of us today would recognize or want to live in. We must turn it around. We must go to the roots of the problem. Very good point, John. John, I want to save a few minutes for people to call in and ask questions or share their comments. John, recently we have seen how Timothy Geithner our Treasury Secretary, who was formerly a top person at the New York Federal Reserve Bank and before that at uh, Goldman Sachs, he was complicit in overvaluing much of the bailout associated with AIG. What are your personal views and analysis of the global bailout of the two large defaul banks? And also, uh, Obama last week has sealed America's commitment to clean coal, which is an oxymoron that doesn't exist, can exist, with the Chinese Premier Hu Xintou, and this is clear in the, in the uh, press that uh, 21st century coal, completely a stupid notion. The current climate bill uh, and energy bill in Congress calls for only a measly 4% reduction in greenhouse gases where we need about 30%. And finally, this thought. Do you see any similarities between the psychology of a fundamentalist religious terrorist and a corporate or Wall Street terrorist whose only divinity is to greed and profit? Wow, that's quite a question, Gary. <laughs> well. um, you know, I, I think if we can really come back to the basics, it's that we have in, the, in, in my lifetime and specifically since 1980, created this crazy, mutant form of capitalism, which is based on excessive greed and is also set up in a way to help a very few, very powerful people get, get more powerful and, and more and richer. Uh, it's not, it's this predatory capitalism that we've embraced is not one that helps increase the middle class, Get, or get rid of the poor class and bring them up to the middle class. Uh, and I don't mean get rid of the lower class, I mean raise them up. Um, it, it's a terrible, terrible form of capitalism that we've embraced. Okay. We have a caller up. By the way, one other thing from this movie last night. I enjoyed the movie as, a, as, as a, uh, an understanding of where we're at today as metaphor. But virtually all the 400,000 wealthiest people in the world were allowed to pay $1 billion each to get to be on this kind of new, uh, highly sophisticated Chinese-built arc that would mm. save during the and, and But there was a question asked, gee whiz, well, what about all the other people? Well, th they're not worthy. 
<laughs> and then take a look today at how apropos that is of who gets to testify before Congress, who gets the contracts, who gets the bailout, never the average person. No, they are on that arc. There's no question. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it may be more of a figurative arc than a, than a physical arc today, but they are on it. You bet. And it, it boy, does it play out as metaphor. So I suggest people in this audience watch it for just that. Let's say hello now to... Uh, Pius from New Jersey. Hi, Pius. You're on the air. Yes. Um, I have a question for your guest. Um, th- are you familiar with the situation in Nigeria right now with the uh, Niger Delta and the oil uh, uh, crisis and, uh, and env- uh, environmental degradation? Uh, the second question is, did you work in Nigeria during your days? Uh, I did not work in Nigeria, and, and I, so I'm not personally familiar with it. I've read about it, but I don't have any personal information on it. But it, it follows a trend, you know, uh, uh, and we've been long involved in Nigeria. Ken Sirawiwa, you know, very active environmentalist, and, and seven other environmentalists were hanged there because they dared to go up against Shell Oil. Um, the oil companies have an iron grip on, on Nigeria, as they do on so many parts of the world. And it's you know we go along with it. We're buying their oil. We're, how many people out there buy Shell or buy Exxon? I I won't. I, I don't. And I won't you buy shouldn't from those because companies. Shell Oil has the blood of those people on their hands. Mm-hmm. All they did was protest, and Shell could have intervened and saved their lives. They did not. Yeah, well, that, but yes, but you go back to Ken Sirawiwa, who was an active uh, opponent of the oil companies. Not only did they not save his life, they actively took his life. They hanged him and seven other activists. So they have a long history of this. We have Stephen from New York who would like to ask you a question. Stephen, you're on the air. Yeah, I would like to know, John, uh, what it was that uh, turned you around uh, on this journey from uh, economic financial hitman to whistleblower, and what, if anything, your uh, former uh, cohorts think about what you're doing. Yes, well, thanks, Stephen. It's, you know, it's, it's a long story, and it's, it's detailed and hoodwinked. Uh, but the, the, the short version is that over the 10 years I was an economic hitman, I became increasingly disillusioned in, in, in understanding uh, what was wrong with the system. And then I had what you might call an epiphany at the very end uh, where I was on a sailboat in the, in the Caribbean. And I climbed up to the top of this mountain uh, that had an old sugarcane plantation uh, covered with bougainvillea, the ruins. And I, I, I sat there in this idyllic setting watching the sun setting over the Caribbean. And it suddenly struck me that this idyllic setting was built on the bones of thousands of slaves. And then I realized that the whole uh, hemisphere is built on the bones of millions of slaves. And then I realized that I, too, was a slaver. What I was doing, what we're all doing in a way today, is, is a modern form of slavery. And so I, 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 at that point, made the commitment that I would never do it again. I, I went back and, and, and quit my job. And uh, um, uh, after I started writing concessions the first time, and I detailed this in Hoodwinked in, in the early 80s, I was threatened. My life was threatened. My daughter's life was threatened. She was born in 82. I was also offered a, a very large bribe from a big engineering company. Uh, I took the money, put it to good uses. You can go to dreamchange.org, a nonprofit I founded, and, and we're using a lot of that money. And But I didn't write the book until after 9-11. And then at 9-11, I, I, I went up to ground zero shortly after it happened. And, and as I looked at that smoldering pit, I knew I had to expose this truth. And at that point, I decided I wouldn't tell anybody I was doing it, not even my wife and daughter. And, and so it became, in a way, my, my best insurance policy. Got it in the hands. Once it was totally written, I'd written the whole book, got it in the hands of my agent, 
sent out to publishers, and at that point, it's a good insurance policy because the, the jackals know that something strange happens to me. If someone kills me today, Hoodwink will outsell Sarah Palin's new book. <laughs> and that's exactly the opposite of what they want to have happen. Uh, they don't want the word to get out. So, uh, you know, it, it, if you're a whistleblower, don't threaten to blow the whistle. Just blow the whistle after you've got all your facts in order and they're out there in public. John, thank you very much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. I look forward to uh, more of the efforts you're doing. Hoodwinked, former economic hitman, reveals why the world financial markets imploded and how to remake them. www.johnperkins.org. John, thanks. All the best. And also, Gary, at Twitter, economic underscore hitman. Okay. I wish you well in all things, John. I look forward to another conversation.